I remember when I first went into foster care, I hated it. I didn't like it. It was messed up. I didn't want to be a part of it. I fucking hated it. Because kids used to make fun of me. It was, ooh, this one bitch named Kiosha. Ooh, I hate this bitch to this day. I can't stand that bitch. Saw her ass a couple of years ago. She was working in a Walmart as a greeter. I was like, ha, ha. That's what happens to bullies, bitch. She had a dead leg and shit. I was like, ha ha, limbs die to bullies. All bullies' limbs die, ha ha. <laughs> That's what your ass get. Should have been a motherfucking pirate on a Pirates of the Caribbean ride at Disneyland, bitch. Oh, raggedy ass bitch. Oh, yo ho, yo ho ass bitch. Hated her. I hated her because she wouldn't let me be like, I don't know about y'all, but my favorite game in school was tetherball. That was my favorite fucking game. I think tetherball is the best way to get out anger, get out frustration, especially as a child. You just release all that tension. You get to hit that, it's that yellow ball right there attached to that rope, wrapping around that pole. You just, ah, yeah, yeah. And you see it wrap around, you're like, yeah, I'm winning. Sometimes you play your enemy and hit them dead in the face, they nose bleed. You're like, yes, I fucking run the playground. I am the king. Game of Thrones style, bitch. That's what I felt like. <sighs> felt powerful. This bitch, Kiosha. <laughs> she found out I was in the system. She didn't want to let me play. Coming up to play, tell the boss, she's like, uh-uh, Tiffany. Only people with mamas and daddies can play. <sighs> Bitch, we don't even know if that's your real daddy. How you gonna do me? <laughs> Just cause you 15 in the sixth grade don't mean you get to run the playground, Kiosha. <laughs> Vanessa, I'm crying. I know it's supposed to be funny, but I have so many issues and now that made me cry. <laughs> Why does that make you cry? <laughs> One time I got slapped six times for not getting out of line for double decks. But I was like, I'm not backing down to this bitch. Anyway, <laughs> so funny. What's her name? My mom What's her name? And one time my mom showed up from the jail in third grade. It was just like, shout out to you, mom. I love you. But it was just a lot. It was a lot. What's her name? Kiosha. That's all. <laughs> no, and she married an R&B singer. I ain't even going to say who she is because she's a real person. It's like, God bless her. She probably didn't know no better. <laughs> she didn't know no better. Why did you do that to me? Though? Okay, that was that was a great opening. <laughs> I didn't know I didn't know all the issues. I had forgot. I'm sorry, it was not personal. I was cracking. Well, first of all, when I'm listening to it, welcome to Black History Bootcamp. My name's Morgan. That's Vanessa. This is a walking podcast for Black women everywhere, and that was not on brand messaging for a girl. <laughs> I was like, we go listen. You can't start with that, but it was hilarious. And that is on brand, is the ability to laugh and transmute your pain and feel yeah. and be there for each other. So I'm sorry you got bullied. How old were you? <laughs> First of all, I mean, no, I ain't even going down this pathway, y'all. I will have to say this for another episode more than I was eight. That's, look, there's a couple, they're doing the cutest little black selfie. We're going, if I start to unpack how old I was and what was going down, it's just going to be a lot. But just know that just like Tiffany, I, ha- I shall rise. I have risen. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Come on, Black Unicorn. Yes, that was Tiffany Haddish, the great Tiffany Haddish. And, you know, she is the daughter of Moms Mabley, who we're talking about today, who was a cosmonaut. 
who was deemed the funniest woman on the planet in her heyday in the, between the 20s, 30s, 40s, all the way into the 50s. I mean, she had an epic career. And she was definitely not always appropriate. In fact, her inappropriateness was on point with making people feel just like Tiffany Haddish did. And if you don't know Tiffany Haddish's story, that she grew up in foster care and she talked so much about feeling special and converting that pain into power. And so that was just one of the stories. We'll play the end of that story. Well, I plan to play the end of that story, but I don't know. <laughs> no, I want to hear it. I'm ready. I'm not. I am ready. It was so good. It was so perfect. It was such a perfect introduction. So don't worry. It's like sometimes when something's spot on, it just moves you in a way yes. that they're not a second. So it's not to you. Morgan, before we get into Mom's Maisley story, this yes. is off agenda, but Yesterday, I was praying, just praying without ceasing for lots of different things. Not that I don't pray every day, but yesterday I was like really trying to pray. And literally back to back to back, I got three messages from boot camp listeners that were so powerful. I want to share them because sometimes the goodness stays in our inbox and it doesn't get out into the world. So before we get into the Mom's Maze episode, can I just share these? It'll probably take me two minutes. Yeah. No, please take your time. Okay. So first of all, I want to give a shout out to Paula Edwards because yesterday, or is it is today March 16th? Today is March 16th, which means that today is her one year she's been walking and she started last year. So she said, thanks to Girl Trek, I walked every day for one year. She said, I started last year with Black History Bootcamp, March 16th, 2020. She said it was actually 366 days as 2020 was a leap year. She said, I was a runner and while in the military for more than 32 years, and unfortunately, I had to have my knee reconstructed. And she says, I walked in great weather on beaches and foreign lands and snow and below zero wind chills and rain, early mornings and late nights. She said, I had up to two surgeries in 2020, but I got up early on the morning of my surgeries to make sure I wouldn't miss my walk. She said, I met lots of great people and learned a lot in my walking journey. So I just want to shout out Paula Edwards. And then shout out to the diaspora. Yes, we got an amazing message from this woman in Nairobi. It is so adorable. And she says, hi there. I'm talking to her voice. I don't know why. I don't even know her. Hi there. I live in Nairobi. (laughs) Okay, she says, hi there. I live in Nairobi. And in late October, a friend and I started walking about three hours every Saturday in Karuna Forest, a large space of forest land in the middle of the city. She said the first few times whenever we meet, we would need a little motivation to carry us. I'd yell out, girl trek. And her friend would ask, what the heck is that? And she said, I would tell her, trust me, it's a thing. Since then, we've gotten other friends (laughs) and her parents walking. She says, we're working on our knowledge of the forest and it's 2,500 acres. I'd really like to feel a part of the Girl Trek community and surprise my friend with a shirt. I wanted to ask your permission or pay something so that I could use the logo and print it here in Nairobi since it would be difficult to get from the States. And Morgan, I wanted to read this out loud so that we can right now remind people that Girl Trek and Black Tissue Boot Camp is a movement of organizers. And if you are in Nairobi, Kenya, and you have already gotten your friend, her parents, and their friends to start walking, yes, actually, you can wear your blue shirts and take the logo from our website and print it there. And that's what this movement is for. And I know we have a lot of back and forth around our Girl Trek store, official Girl Trek gear, and we really ask our organizers not to bootleg the gear. But this is an organizer requesting to organize on the continent for her people so she can feel a part of the community. And I just love that story and wanted to share that one, Morgan. I love it too. I'm crossing the freeway, but I do love it. I do love <laughs> well, it. 
Well, cross it for me because I have one more shout out. Do what? Wait, but let me say something. Hold yeah. on. I'm in the lead. Let me say something. Okay. Oh, Lord. First of all, that's the force that Wangari Matai stood in front of the bulldozers and told them they're yes. not going to cut down this African forest. That's what I wanted to say. No, that's, I needed to hear that part. Last testimony, because I wanted to get into Mom's Maisie. This is for the allies. I got this message yesterday, and it says, Vanessa and Morgan, I wanted to reach out and say thank you for Girl Trek and Black History Boot Camp. After a recommendation from the Reverend Jackie Lewis, I started listening last fall, and it has really changed my perspective. I am learning Black history. I was never taught in school and how to be a better ally. I am learning how to have audacious dreams for myself and not limit myself by what someone else wants me to be or thinks I should be. So thank you. I look forward to continuing to listen and walk along with you. So Morgan, I just wanted to share, I got those three messages within the span of maybe two hours. And thank you to everyone who comes to these conversations. Thank you for walking with us. Thank you for learning with us. Thank you for giving us so much grace. We are building a movement, a powerful movement and we are taking to the streets and lacing up every day and learning and organizing. And I'm just standing gratitude. I love it. I love it. And I got across the street. I'm safe. I was I thinking about you Frogger like, when you were crossing the street. I was like, catch your breath, girl. Catch your breath. Get your cardio. Get your cardio, girl. <laughs> Sorry, I'm walking past some people doing some welding. I'm walking past a beauty parlor. I'm walking past a mango tree, the man selling some work pants. All right. So welcome, y'all. I hope you're outside walking. If those three stories did not inspire you to put your sneakers on and walk, let me give you some sisters keep with love and say, 2021 ain't going to be that year where we sitting still. We're going to walk in the direction of our healthiest, most fulfilled life. Let's get up. Let's get at it. Put your sneakers on. It ain't too late for today. Mom's Mabley, Vanessa. The reason yeah. actually I started with that story is because we stay making light of pain. I mean, I don't know nobody better at it than black people. I remember yeah. when Zora Neale Hurston was writing Their Eyes Are Watching God, and it was one of the parts of the book that made me fall in love with her writing, is that she wrote in the black vernacular, black comedy on the porches of Southern black families better than I ever thought was possible. You know, you know those times when that's when you'd be sitting with your family, whether you're at the family reunion, sometimes you'd be at a funeral. I mean, we were at my uncle's funeral. God rest in peace, Uncle James, who I love, love, love you. We were at my uncle's funeral cracking up because everything was funny. It's just like, oh Lord, I kid you not. I hope my mom ain't watching and listening to this, but remember on Bridesmaids, my mom is yeah, like, oh my God, I love that. Kept Kept getting on the microphone and like the mic. Yes, and like my cousin, my cousin BJ was looking at me, and I was like, "I can't. I, what I'm gonna do? I can't do nothing. I'll sit right here." My mom was like, "One more thing. I'm just gonna sing this song. It was his favorite song." Then my aunt was like, "Okay, just one last scripture." <laughs> I kept going back and forth. It was so funny. So I'm telling you that that is a superpower. It is a superpower for us to be able to bring levity to such heaviness. It's something we've had to do. It's a disposition we have. And the ones who have had to survive the most often have been able to survive the most because they have this special gene of comedy, of precision, of insight, of social commentary. Everybody from Richard Pryor, who we know his life story, 
was hard in Peoria, right? To our very own Moms Mabley. And some of you may not know that much about Moms Mabley. And I'm shout out to Whoopi Goldberg. I really don't. Yeah, yes. shout out to oh Whoopi Goldberg, God. who I know you love, Vanessa. I, Vanessa loves Whoopi Goldberg. I know, I know <laughs> Tiffany Haddish is like Whoopi Goldberg, her mama gonna play her in the movie, but I could be the sister in between or the cousin. I could be something <laughs> part of that family. I just feel it. So when they make the movie, I'll tell them I'm available. I love Whoopi Goldberg, and I cannot wait to talk about her one day and do her story justice. Yes. If somebody knows Whoopi Goldberg on here, I know we got some connected people on this phone. Tell her that Girl Trek has been talking about Whoopi Goldberg for so many years. And in fact, years ago, when somebody asked who my healthy role model was, I was like, Whoopi, Whoopi Goldberg? And they was like, what? They was like, not Serena Williams? And you was no, like, not Serena. I was like, Whoopi Goldberg. And it's because she has such a levity and such a freedom about how she navigates this world on her terms that just deeply inspires me. And it always has. It has really deeply inspired me. And I know it has with you too. But thank God for Whoopi Goldberg because she brought Moms Mabley's story to HBO in a feature length documentary film. We put the clip of it there so you can figure out from your HBO provider how to watch that film. You should. It's excellent. She won so many awards for it. It's excellent. And I was really grateful when I watched it a few years back, because I didn't know about Moms Mabley either, except for her name. So Moms Mabley was born in North Carolina, Vanessa, and she was born before the turn of the century, so like 18, 1890s. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was tripping me out. Even when I was looking at her birthday, I was like, do you mean Moms Mabley was walking the planet at the same time as Harriet Tubman for like 20 years? It's like that crazy a- to think about that. Yeah. I mean, does she, was mom maybe like, I heard there's a woman named Harriet Tubman who, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Who live over Probably. in New York. Like, yeah. and who are the Harriet Tubmans now that we're going to, people a hundred years from now are going to be like, and y'all didn't reach out to her? It'd be like, <laughs> you know? Uh, no. I think about that with Stevie Wonder. I think about that with all sorts of people, James Earl Jones, all sorts of people. Yeah. Like, who should we be talking to now? that are legendary and the world won't even understand it for another hundred years. But she was born before the turn of the century and she was born to a large family, which many black people were because we were one generation away from slavery and having lots of children ensured that we could take care of ourselves as sharecroppers. And so it was a tradition for us to have many children who could help. And So she was one of, some records say 12, some records say 16. I suspect that her mother may have lost children. And she was one of many children. And her biological father was hardworking and he was a business owner. And her mother stayed at home, was a caretaker at home. But her mother also ran a boarding house. And we just have all heard the stories of boarding houses and how bringing people into your home is sometimes the center of community and sometimes the center of harm. So this is even just a plug for everybody who is struggling through COVID right now, who has children. Please, let's be careful who we bring around our babies. Let's be careful who we bring into our homes, into our sacred spaces, and let's be ever vigilant to protect our kids right now. And if you have a gut feeling about somebody, act on it. And I tell you that because by the age of 14 years old, Vanessa, Moms Mabley had been raped two times by two different men. One was an older black man at 11 years old, who some say was her stepfather because her father had been killed 
in a, her father was a volunteer firefighter and there was an explosion and her father got killed. And so her mother remarried and some people say it was her stepfather, but it doesn't matter who it was necessarily, uh, you know, in terms of who was connected to her. It's described as an older black man who was close to the family when she was 11 years old, raped her. And then there was a white sheriff who raped her at 13 years old, Vanessa. She bared children from both of those sexual assaults. And she gave birth to two children before the age of 14, Vanessa. And she gave them both up for adoption. And so even when I hear Tiffany Haddish talking about, you know, being a ward of the court and like being able to just soar from that and find so much abundance in her life that she's actually bringing other comedians along and the, like how whole she has become. It reminded me so much of Moms Mabley. And I was just like, she gave two babies up from adoption from sexual assault before the age of 14. And so her grandmother, God bless grandmothers, encouraged her to run away. She, wow. she described her grandmother as the force in her life. Her grandmother said, get away from there. So she ran away at 14 years old and joined the Chitlin Circuit, Vanessa. And if people on the phone don't know what the Chitlin Circuit is, it was essentially a hub for Black artistry. It was where we had to work to get paid, but it was the epicenter of everything funny, of everything talent, of everything musical. Jazz started on the circuit, tap dancing started on the circuit, and Black comedy started on the circuit. And we called it the Chitlin Circuit because it had to go through the South because it was still so deeply violent in this country and segregated that our most talented brilliant souls had to go through this segregated South. They called it the Chitlin Circuit. So she joined an act on the Chitlin Circuit when she was 14 years old, Vanessa. 14 years old. And she You know she when you say that, though, I'm like, in, even in, in the midst of all this tragedy that's happening, I was like, she somehow understood she had a talent and had a gift, right? And, some, and yeah. that even of itself that it wasn't extinguished completely because of her traumas and that she thought I had this gift somehow and that I can use it in some sort of way is a testament to who she is. It's really a lot of black women's story. Yeah. You know, it's interesting when you're saying that I was like at 14, did I know if I had to run away at 14, what would I run to? You know what I mean? Like, would I have like a passion or whatever? And then if I was 14 and had experienced the kind of trauma that she had to experience of giving her children away, of being assaulted, of being assaulted by law enforcement. I don't even know if I could be whole enough to run. You understand what I yeah. mean? Like, I don't, I, don't, I, do. I don't know. So she was, so that does tell you a lot about her spirit. And so she went off into the Chitlin circuit. And some people say that she actually got her name Moms early on before she even started dressing as an older woman, which we, we all see Moms Mabley and she's dressed in this floppy hat and this house coat which reminds me of your grandmother, Vanessa, actually. When I, when I think about being <laughs> yes. a woman wearing a house coat, it reminds me of how you describe your grandmother. But she, you know, before she started dressing that way, which we'll get to in a, in a minute, some people say they started calling her Mom's Mabley early on because she was such a caretaker of other people, even on the road, even on the Chitlin circuit, which I, I like that story. I like that story. But before that, so she was born with the name Loretta. And then she actually changed her name to Jackie Mabley. And she changed it to Jackie Mabley because she had a boyfriend after she left her parents' house who was also in the entertainment industry. And his name was Jack Mabley. And Mm -hmm. 
he treated her so badly, Vanessa, so badly that when she got away from that abusive relationship, that she said, at least I could take his name. So she took his name and called herself Jackie Mabley. And I was thinking about that even with divorce, how we were talking about it. We was like, you ain't taking his name back because I don't work too hard for it. She took his name and she called herself Jackie Mabley. And I, first of all, already thought that was interesting that she took a man's name on. I thought that was interesting. But then later on, what we start, what started to happen and evolve in mom's Mabley's life is she started to really flirt with identity and think about like how she wanted to present herself on stage. Some people say that at 14, 15 years old, that there was no precedent for female comedians so that she needed to dress in men's clothing so that she could even get on the stage. Other people said, no, she came out later in her later 20s as being a lesbian woman, that she was already understanding her identity and was coming out in full force with her identity, even at an early age. In any case, I find it to be when she leaves an abusive home and she changes her name for the first time, that it is a name after a boyfriend's name, which I I just found to be interesting. So she started killing the game, Vanessa. I mean, she just would set these these theaters on fire. And they was like, have you heard of this little little girl? (laughs) And so she went all over the country. And in New York City, she actually played the Cotton Club, which you know at that time was like top notch. And she was the first woman to headline at the Apollo Theater. And to this day, she's the act who's played at the Apollo Theater more than any other act, more than James Brown, more than Aretha Franklin, more than anybody else. She was Can I tell you, Morgan, that the people who run the Apollo are doing such a good job at preserving the Apollo's legacy. And actually, one of the the memories I have, like the thing I did right before COVID was finally go to see Showtime at the Apollo. And it was actually more magical than it is on TV. Like, you know how you think something may be lost its luster or isn't whatever it is because it's not always available or talked about? No, it was like produced so well. It felt like a night out in New York. The, the talent was really good. And I know that that's intentional work of people who understand the legacy of the Apollo Theater. So I just want to list them up um, in this series of conversations. Yes. And I don't know if you ended up seeing the Grammy Awards. I know I was live texting you yesterday about the Grammys, but they did a shout out to the Apollo on the Grammys, which I thought was really Oh, beautiful. amazing. Okay. Yeah. And they had this older Black man who was, he just had such a beautiful spirit. And he told a story about he was a stagehand and James Brown was like, well, let me see your grades. And he showed James Brown his grades. He was like, um, I don't want to see you nowhere near here until you bring his grades up. Yeah. And he brought his grades up and he became an honor roll student. And then James Brown brought him back in there and said, you know, he was a part of the crew and he's been working for the Apollo Theater since. And he's a senior citizen now. Isn't that so beautiful? That is, yeah. It's so beautiful. So Mom's Mabley was the headliner act for so long and played more shows there than anybody else. And so, I mean, you know, she was all over television. She went on to have a film career. We know her because she was on network television, like late night television. She was such a recurring act on all the late night shows, which you can imagine at the time, 40s, 50s, was revolutionary because she wasn't Lena Horne. You understand what I mean? She didn't look a way that made people feel comfortable. In fact, she intentionally started dressing as an older black woman. She says it was in honor of her grandmother and the force that her grandmother was, but just even this notion of trying on identities is really fascinating to me. But she was also an older black woman who had a really, really virile sexual appetite, and particularly for younger men, which I think, listen, 
even how we understand our sexual trauma for me is a journey, Vanessa. It's a journey. And so she yeah. made fun of like, I'm this older black woman and and older black men can't do nothing for me. Essentially, I have to have these young men. And I was just like, this woman was working through her own trauma on stage every single night with such courage and such bravery and such wit that it attracted people all over the world because you can tell when there's a truth speaker on stage. You could just tell. You could just yeah. tell when I people are I think that's why even that stuff. Tiffany Haddish clip kind of hit me like it did at the beginning because she sounds so specifically hurt and sad. She's performing through it. But to me, that's yeah. all I could actually hear is like, I'm really actually telling you something that hurt me. I'm trying to tell you right now. And I'm telling you through this laugh and this way that is transforming certainly the pain and because honestly, that's a really powerful thing, even if you think about it, that you can take your pain and create laughter, which makes me think of when me and you did laughter therapy, not that far from where I am right now. Y'all, one time Morgan and I, we got some organizers together for a girl check organizer training. It might have been the first one ever. And we didn't know what a, need, what a Black woman needed to organize on behalf of the healing movement. We were making it up. We was like, we need to know how to do what? We need to know how to knock on doors, talk to women. So at one point, we were like, we need to know how to laugh. Because, I don't know. So we hired a woman to come do laughter yoga. A Black woman, by the way, to come do laughter yoga yes. with our organizer. So, and even in that moment, just to think about how we can take the pain energy in our body and laugh it out. But one of the things that she did for laughter yoga is she had almost like a daisy chain. Like if a woman lays down, the next woman lays on her stomach, her head on her stomach. The next woman puts her head on the other woman's stomach. The next person puts her head on the other woman's stomach. So it's just everybody's laying on somebody's stomach. And then she starts giving you like these cues. And you know, Black women, we could be tight. We could just be tight. We hold in a lot in. We hold it together every single day. And we were strangers. And we didn't have we a girl stranger. We were just like, so people said they want to start a movement and they've invited us here to lay on each other's stomach. <laughs> but I specifically remember, Vanessa, we all sit there tight. And then you started laughing so loud. You was going, ha uh-huh. <laughs> And everybody was like, what? And then, holy hell, it's going And it made everybody else laugh because your laughter was coming from such a deep place like, like Miss Sophia. and so then the woman on your stomach started laughing and then it became so contagious and it was so beautiful so yeah laughter is definitely definitely medicine and so one of the things that I believe made Moms Mabley so famous like worldwide famous was because and this is for allies and this is even we've been talking a lot about this this series because so many like global superstars have been featured this series that at some point in your success, you stop being a black genius and you start being a world genius. And then how you hold your own in that spotlight is so telling about where you draw your power and your strength. And so when she got out of the Chitlin circuit, got out of the Cotton Club and the Apollo Theater, she then became a worldwide phenomenon. And in that fame, in that spotlight, she continued to talk the way she wanted to talk. She continued to have no teeth on stage, even as a senior citizen. She, could, she, start, she kept wearing them house coats. She kept wearing them floppy hats. And she kept taking pregnant pauses and looking at people. She was a master at improvisation. So that's why she was so good at late night shows. They would try to stomp her. And I'm saying, what y'all don't understand late night hosts is that Black women be waiting 
for the chance, for the three minutes <laughs> to say exactly what we were wanting to say to you oh in God. the most concrete way. So she used to just be killing the game. So we put uh, a clip of her on one of the late night shows there. She was just killing the game. But mostly, I think, it was almost anthropological, Vanessa, similar to Josephine Baker, where particularly the white gaze was able to see your grandmother for the first time, to see my Aunt Melva for the first time in close proximity and authenticity. A Black woman showing up exactly how she has decided she is going to be. And that kind of freedom is something to behold. It's something to yeah. behold when the whole world tried to destroy you and you're still going to stand on the stage and refuse to perform anything except for the identity you choose. It's powerful. Yeah. It's powerful. So today we just really do want to celebrate Mom Mabley and every Black woman who finds creative genius in her comedy, in her voice. And I, I wanted to just have a conversation today about particularly Black female comedy because for the playlist, I actually, I was like, okay, well, maybe I could just do all comedy bits for the playlist. But then I couldn't really think of a lot of black female comics. And I know that's ignorant because I see them all the time. But I was like, do they have stand-up? It's one of the reasons I love Tiffany Haddish so much because, you know, she does that show on Netflix, They Ready. And actually yeah. one of our friends, her name is Erin. She's a girl trekker and she's on the playlist, got put on on that Netflix. It was so exciting to watch one comedian bring on another comedian who she thought was talented because that's actually what's required now. But I tried to pull together, you know, a couple of <laughs> clean pieces. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard because black female comedians be having to go hard. Maybe having to go hard to stay in the game with Martin Lawrence and them. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, um, but I wanted to ask you, who's the funniest person in your family, Dee? Oh, God rest his soul. But my cousin, William, was literally the funniest person who you would ever meet. He was super tall. He was light-skinned. He was that kind of like a big lumbering, one of those like always a kid, even when he was a grown man. And he actually ended up getting hurt really bad in high school incident in Seattle. But So then he also had a brain injury. I know this is going to sound like it's not funny, but it is. But even through his brain injury, like he would just be sitting on the couch, smoking his Newport, like at every person who came to the house, he would just have a joke. And it would be like a real funny joke, but then you couldn't really crack back on him because he would just be like, my brain, man, my brain. (laughs) So so God bless William. So he was uh, really, really funny. You know, it just occurred to me, even as you were just talking about that, is actually... As I even think about Richard Pryor, or I think, because I was, when you were saying that, I thought about Mike Epps. Is, this is where my brain went. When you were thinking about your lumbering cousin sitting on the couch with a Newport, I was like, yeah, Mike Epps, that sounds like Mike Epps, and he's hilarious to me. And I remember yeah. in Atlanta, I went on a date, girl, with this guy. I ain't even going to say his name because he's kind of famous too. <laughs> like, ooh, wait. I went on this date with this guy, and we were sitting like near the front, and Mike Epps was doing, you know, Mike Epps. He'd be loose on the stage. Let's just say that. He'd be loose. And he'd be talking so much junk about the audience. And the guy I was with was super macho, macho. And he didn't want Mike Epps to say nothing about him. But Mike Epps can feel that. When you scare, he he can can feel feel the energy. He can feel the energy. He's got to get So he was like, look at this. You know what I mean? He was just like, it was hilarious. But then he started talking about his grandma. And I literally have never laughed so hard in my life when Mike Epps was talking about his grandma 
talk about you can't get a popsicle out them freezers. Remember them old freezers? That's not the yes, refrigerator, but them old freezers. Yes. And she was like, don't you get a near another popsicle. <laughs> I kept saying a near another for like an hour. He was like, don't you get a near another popsicle. And I was laughing so hard. I was like crying. And then I, when you were just saying that, I was thinking so many comedians have made their fame off of mimicking their grandmother's genius. Yeah, you understand what I mean? Like even Richard Pryor, Richard Pryor talked about his grandmother all the time and she was the most funny character. Mm -hmm. Certainly Eddie Murphy has talked about black women and their genius. Even um, Steve Harvey with that lady at church, like everybody is is using black women's genius or Tyler Perry, by the way, using black women's comedic genius in order to to really base a career. And so I'm so grateful yeah. when black women can use our own genius do to do it. the same. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. For me, it's my Aunt Melva. I don't think you met her. You never met Aunt Melva before. She's hilarious. I don't think so. Yeah. She's hilarious. And I was thinking about like, where does that hilarity come from? And I don't know. Cause she, I don't know that she had trauma in her life, but I do know she never had children of her own. And I know that she's not married and now she's still working at Boeing. Like, uh, no, she's working for the Koch brothers. She ain't even working at Boeing. She's working for the Koch brothers, them Koch brothers. Oh, yeah. And she can't barely walk. And she has like a walker and she's still going in, working in union hours. It's just, and she's the funniest person I know on the planet. My whole life, she called me stupid kid. <laughs> oh, the stupid kid. And I'm just like, oh, you're not stupid, auntie. Which brings me to my second question. <laughs> <laughs> At what point is funny no longer funny, but funny is mean? And how do we draw those lines as Black women who want to be loving, but who also want to make light out of hardness? First of all, even when Tiffany was telling the story about the dodgeball and the girl telling her she can say dodgeball, half of those type of scenarios garner laughter because people are trying to deflect for them being the target, Right. So it's hard to evaluate laughter and then what is mean, because I think it would require us to, it's like such a line. It's such a line between like our own personal shame. And then we laugh, it becomes funny. But I actually think that I feel like black comedy. Vanessa, yesterday when you were like, when I was like, did you see that crack movie? And you was like, I can't watch nothing else about my life. And I started laughing and then you didn't laugh. (laughs) It was awkward. It was awkward, but it's because how, what am I supposed to do? When you say that in public. <laughs> I don't say that in public. I mean, people You're don't right. need to know all your business. That's all I'm saying. So I think sometimes we laugh when it's awkward, but it feels healing because yeah. the massage is the place of tightness inside of us. And we yeah. all need that. We all need that. But I just don't know how to do it where it's not mean. Because my brother's actually really funny. But growing up, he used to call me Cheetah. And he thought it was funny because I had um, chicken pox scars all over my legs. And he yeah. thought it was hilarious, but it actually wasn't ever funny to me. And I didn't know. Yeah. And even if I was laughing, I wasn't actually laughing. I was actually injured by it. So I'm just thinking like, even now, as we'd be like, you know, get your little nappy head or get your, do your little stuff or whatever. How do we keep our charm, keep our fun, keep our levity, but like not be like harmful to each other? Like, I don't want to be dry, but I also don't want to be harmful. And where's the line there? I don't even know it all the time because it's, I've been listening to a lot of comedy stations on streaming and I'm just like, I feel like the line is just a line. It's just like far away because I feel like there's always love from black people to black people almost that I, I can see even when something's mean, it just be like, there's like a love there. 
Like even in like Cheetah, the, there ain't no love in Cheetah. <laughs> Morgan, I know no your love is Cheetah. I know him. There ain't no love in Cheetah. Be, I know, but you know it came from a place where he probably didn't know how to say, Oh sis, do you need like me to get you some face? So cream yeah, so he would feel uncomfortable bringing it up to you, but he wanted to make you feel comfortable about it. So then he cracked a joke. You see what I'm saying, Mm-mm. Morgan? No, don't do not follow Vanessa down this path, y'all. She becomes this scene. Don't don't stop. Just be mean. It is. I, a, okay. com- a comedian would say, "If it's funny, it's fair game." That's what they would say. But I'm saying there'd be a lot of shit that'd be funny, and if somebody's feelings be hurt on the other side of it, that's all I'm saying. So. I'm just, I don't know where the line is. And particularly for parents with their kids, like all of us can remember something that was hilarious that an adult said to us that hurt us for years. <laughs> Actually, yeah. I can remember one that you told me that your auntie said to you, but I ain't going to say nothing. But I, I mean, if you're going to say point. that my whole family called me Pissietta Smith, it's just what it is, Morgan, because I used to pee on myself when I was little. And my whole family would call me Pissietta Smith. And you know what? I don't know if it was funny What's or not. What's that funny? funny but <laughs> it was very mean. It was very mean, family. It was yes. very mean. Yes. Okay? That's I have what a I'm small saying. bladder, even to this day. And it's hard in the age of COVID, by the way, to move around with a small bladder. So <laughs> Hilarious. I was not going to say the Pissietta Smith <laughs> I was going to say, your, your auntie said you, did, you smell like a man. <laughs> That's William's mom. <laughs> I'm sorry, y'all. Cut it. Ebony said it's time to wrap. She just texted me. We cannot have this conversation so more. I'm done. I'm done. Yes, I'm done too. But I, my point is, in conclusion, the thesis of this call is some shit is mean. So, y'all, let's stop. Let's put a stop to that. Let's put a stop to the meme, okay, but I also I also feel better even talking about it. So maybe it is therapy indeed. Maybe it's yeah. therapy indeed. I love you, Vanessa. Sorry for putting you stuff out love there. Um, it's okay, let's y'all. the end of the bit with Tiffany. When I have my <laughs> mom's neighborly biopic on Lifetime, you're going to have a lot of little <laughs> scenes to pull from. That's all, Morgan. That's all. <laughs> all right. All right. Talk to y'all later. She wouldn't let me play, though. Three weeks of her bullying me. Three weeks of her telling me I can't play. Three weeks of her punking me. And I couldn't take it no more. I fucking lost it. I needed to play tetherball. <laughs> I mean, tetherball's the best thing. I really think they should have tetherballs in the workplace because when you get upset with your boss or whatever, your coworkers working your nerves. You need to be like, uh, excuse me, I need a break. I need a tetherball break. <laughs> Okay, I'm ready to go back to work now. This will keep a lot of people from getting shot at work, I'm just saying. Wouldn't let me play. I got mad. Couldn't take it. Three weeks of bullying me. Three weeks of picking on me. Three weeks of not letting me play my game. I lost it. Had my very first psychotic break. I was in line like, yeah, I'm playing to the ball today. I don't care what she said. Today is going to be the day that I play tetherball. I was like out of a slave movie or something. Oh, I'm going to go to tetherball freedom today. She going to let me play today. And I get up to the front of the line and she like, uh-uh, Tiffany, only peoples with mamas and daddies can play. I was like, ah, ah, ah. 
You know what? You know what, Kiosha? You know what? You know what, Kiosha? Because that's what black women do when we get upset. We repeat ourselves over and over and over again. And we throw this hand out here like this because we about to snatch your soul out your body. On some Indiana Jones, Nabi Da Shepti Day type shit. We about to, we about to Kali Ma your spirit. That's what we about to do. And I was like, you know what? You know what, Kiosha? You know what? You know what, Kiosha? You right. You right. I don't have no mom and no daddy. But you know what I do got? You know what I do got, bitch? You know what I do got? You know what I do got, bitch? I got a judge and a lawyer. How do you got a judge and a lawyer? I don't think so, bitch. And you know what else I got? You know what else I got, Kiosha? You know what else I got? You know what else I got, Kiosha? You know what else I got? You know what else I got, Kiosha? I got a social worker to come and see me every two weeks. Do you got a social worker to come and see you every two weeks? No, because you're not special, bitch. And you know what else I got, Kiosha? You know what else? You know what else I got, Kiosha? You know what else? You know what else, Kiosha? You know what else? Your mama and daddy been paying taxes since before you was born. And if you died tomorrow, they would still be paying taxes. You know what them tax dollars do? Pay for my judge and my lawyer and my social worker, bitch. So it seems to me like your mama and daddy love me way more than they love you, bitch. She beat the dog shit out of me, y'all. She beat me so bad, had me hanging from the tether bar pole. Police came, I pressed charges. She ended up with a judge and a lawyer because what goes around comes around in this motherfucker. It's just like tether bar.